started. Open up to Ephesians chapter 1, and we are going to, Lord willing, I say Lord willing because I never know how far I'm going to get. We're going to hopefully, Lord willing, finish this chapter. And uh, let's, uh, let's, it's interesting that uh, a lot of us are going through spiritual attack in our families, and I think um, that's as normal as being a Christian. You know that? If you're a Christian, it's a normal thing, but for some reason this week's been kind of like one of those, one of those, like everything is going like, like that. So let's, Father, uh, let's pray right, real quick. Father, would you please bless the time in your word? Would you, I pray, fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. Without you, I can do nothing. Lord, I am entirely dependent on you, Lord. I pray that you would speak, that you would put your words in my mouth, Lord, as you told Jeremiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 1, and we're going to be uh, finishing up the chapter. We have been looking at verses 15 through 23. We got as far as verse 18. Verse 18, the last two weeks have been really on verse 18, okay? Three things that, God is, that Paul was praying for the Ephesians, and that is as we come uh, to know God, we would grow in three things. One is the hope of his calling. We talked about that two weeks ago. That was the idea of Abraham being called to the promised land, Abraham being called to something that God had for him in the future. And that was, in one sense, the calling was the past, because it happened in the past, but it was always focused on the future. It was bringing him to that. Then you had the second part was in verse 18. In fact, let me read it. How's that? Let's get started. He says, I pray in verse 18 that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Am I a little loud? It sounds loud. Yeah, I'm scaring myself. <laughs> okay, that's better. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling. So we use Abraham as the picture. Then we said the second week, which was last week, what, and what is the riches of this glory of his inheritance in the saints? And we talked about the inheritance that was in the land, the inheritance idea of the blessings that was in, in the land, and the idea that, that as, he, as you know, there's these promises that God had, there's promises from God for the Christian that are in the land. And land meaning, as a Christian, we have certain promises that are for us. And one thing I didn't point out is that the Scripture talks about not only the promises that are in the land, i.e., as being part of Christ, but there's, a prom- the, there's the inheritance that we are to God. That in one sense, there is the fact that we are his inheritance. We have value to God, right? And sometimes we don't think we're very, very valuable. We may think, oh, well, who am I? You know, and God says, oh, you're my inheritance. Um, and we talked a little bit about that. I didn't really point that out too much last time. But the idea was that the goal of being in that land was not only enjoying the blessings and not only enjoying the, uh, the promises, but it was also enjoying worship with God. Because in the land was the place where they, God says, let my people go so they may come out and worship me. And by the way, I'm going to give them a land so they can always worship me. And that's where they, they went to the promised land. They had the tabernacle, you know, and they surrounded the tabernacle. The presence of God was there. And God would say, let's go somewhere. And they would pick up and pack up and follow God. And he would camp around God. It was, it was the whole thing, right? 
That's how their life was, it was surrounded by fellowship and worship of God. But then we left off with the third point, which we're going to talk about today, which is this, verse 19. Paul says, not only do I ask that your eyes would be open to know his calling, to know your value, to know the promises you have in God, but thirdly, verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, this third point is the point that Paul is going to develop the most. He's going to develop this in, let's see, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. I do math, right? <laughs> People say, you're an accountant. Right? You must be good with numbers. Cinco. Cinco. Right. Yeah, you're an accountant. You must be good with numbers. No, actually, I'm good with spreadsheets, you know. The spreadsheets are good with numbers. The point is he devotes five verses to develop this one point. That's significant. And I kept saying, Lord, why is he... Why does he spend so much time on the power of God? Why is he spending so much time on the power of God? Why is he spending so much time on the power of God? Why is he spending so much time on the power? What's in the land there? What's in the land there? There's promises in the land, right? We talked about the promises of God, right? Chocolate? Grapes? Ice cream? Okay. Well, I mean, in all seriousness, the promises of God, of course, were, you know, more significant than ice cream and chocolate, although. But not only are those things in the land, there's also giants in the land. So when Israel went to the edge of the promised land, um, there were other people living there. And so there was opposition. Here's the point. The Christian life is full of not only promises from God, it's also full of opposition. See, if there's one thing that God has for you, the enemy is also trying to take that from you. God says, I have peace for you. The enemy says, well, let's think about that, right? God says, I have forgiveness for you. The enemy says, well, let's talk about that. And he can go on and on and on, okay? That's not, that was my fault. I I don't blame that on the devil. It was just me (laughs) dropping my glasses. (laughs) Hold on. It was just my flesh. I wasn't behaving There's a lot to talk about tonight, so I'm just trying to, I'm going to develop a, a major point here. But, um, so if you bear with me, the enemy knows that if we know the power of God, if we know there's things that God has for us, there's things that God has us, not just when we die and go to heaven. See, here's the thing. The calling was, God said to Abraham in the past, I'm going to call you to that future, right? But then he says, now, you're going to get to the future. That's the promises, but in right now, as you're walking in there, there's the present. And what's the present? The pr- present is the reality of that we're going to get attacked. The present reality is that the enemy doesn't hold up. The present reality is, you know, we want a vacation, and quite honestly, the enemy doesn't go on vacation. So we have to understand, what do we have in Christ to combat that, right? So, God, so Paul says, I want you, and I'm, I'm praying that you would understand how great God's power is toward you. Watch this. In verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us? Underline that word towards us. It's actually one word in the Greek. It's actually a preposition. It's a, it's a preposition, ice, which is a significant word, but we'll talk about that. It means toward you, for you, for your benefit, for, on your behalf. I think, Lord, why would I need power? 
If I, I need power because I know that there's opposition against me. Here's the truth. There is power in knowing and realizing the victory that Christ has over our enemy. And that's going to be the point that Paul develops here. Watch this. He says uh, that this power is towards us who believe. It's for believers. It's not for unbelievers. It's for those of us who believe. And these, this is in, in, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Now he's going to demonstrate that. He's going to say, this power was demonstrated in Christ. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him, him, him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. We're going to talk about that, what that all means. And then it says, he put all things in subjection under his feet. That means God put everything under the feet or control of Christ and gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church. We're going to develop that too. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul says, listen, Paul's going to argue that the, that the power of God is, will be manifested in the lives of believers to help them resist the evil forces, to, to help us live virtual, virtuous lives, and to manifest love to people. So what's the goal here? The goal is this, that we would come to know Okay, here's the thing. Paul wants us to realize the victory that Christ has over these enemies. That's going to be significant. And I'll tell you why. Well, as we develop it. The, the knowledge that Christ has over the enemy, Paul really wants us to understand that so that we'll give us confidence as we go forward and facing the enemy. Does that make sense? We'll develop that in a second, okay? So here's a question. First of all, when you're reading Scripture, and I'm reading Scripture, we're reading Ephesians, I'm saying, well, Paul, why are you bringing this up? Think about the first audience. Who are your first audience, uh, Paul? Oh, the Ephesians. Who are they? Well, they were a church that was in the city of Ephesus in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It was called Asia Minor. Um, they, this was a central location of a, a religious um, group. Uh, they worshipped the goddess Diana or Artemis. Why is that significant? Okay, everything revolved around, this was a, this was a significant um, religion in that there was great power that they understood the gods they had. They thought these gods, and this god in particular, Diana or Artemis, uh, had, had um, significant powers so that she was like the highest god, basically. I'm just going to summarize, Okay. And they would use, um, they had magical incantations and spells and all this kind of stuff that they would use against each other, right? You say, well, it's, so what? When they came out of that and came into Christianity, the question was, who's, now, my old God, can, she can really do a number on you. And they were afraid. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm believing in Jesus, but how does he compare to, the, to her, Right? Paul is reassuring them. He's saying, listen, no matter who she is and what, she, what, 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 uh, what you feared about her, Christ is over her as well. In fact, and you can do uh, research on the crazy gods that they had. They had gods for everything, you know. And some of them were really, really bad. And, and some of them were really, really dangerous. And they were obviously dem- demonic. But these people were afraid, Okay. These people were afraid. They were afraid because they thought, how are we going to cope when we left them and this, this you know, might not be going good for us? Paul is going to say, listen, uh, whatever you're fearing, 
Christ is over that fear. How many of you guys have fear in life? Okay, raise your hands because we all have fear in life, right? Okay. I mean, public speaking, going on airplanes, talking to your brother, talking with your spouse. I mean, or, I mean, those are just fear things, you know? Fear things, things that get us afraid. Um, it's like the pyramid show, things that get us afraid. Um, 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 snakes, I hate snakes. Take out the garbage, and I, I told you this. Take out the garbage, and I had the flashlight shine because I hate snakes. I'm like, where's the snakes? You know, because they're gonna attack me. You know, they're gonna jump out and attack me. So we have we have fears in life. How about what are some areas in life where we need power? Well, I don't know about you, but the the daily grind of life gets me worn out. Been married for 20 years, and sometimes I just need t- power to put up with my wife. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Vice versa, she needs power to put up with me. We grow tired in the daily grind of life. We often face temptation that we cannot seem to overcome. We, sometimes we feel powerless over certain things. We say, well, that's got a stronghold in my life. And sometimes we feel just unable to deal with the simple things in life. Some of us have children that are getting older and we're like, well, they're changing, but I don't know how to deal with their change. When they were younger, I can manage them, but now they're growing older and now they're getting taller than me. How do I deal with this? Um, How about life changes? Sometimes, you know, we want to keep things in routine, right? And God says, well, I'm going to take you off course here. And, and uh, direct you in a new direction to take you to places you've, to boldly go where no one's ever gone before, you know? I mean, I mean, and you're like, Lord, but we were great over here in our, in our, in our circle of friends here, in our circle of our daily life, you know? We're just going nowhere. And, and God says, I'm going to take you somewhere. And it means that you're going to have to follow me. I mean, it's the walk of faith, right? But we're afraid because we're like, Lord, what's behind, what's, you know, we want, and we want the flight plan. They faced tr- tr- trouble in Ephesians. They faced things they feared. We face, we feared, you know. They faced trials and temptations. We face trials and temptations. They, they face things that they're, they're brand new to them. Same thing with us. We need the power of God to live every day for him, to follow Christ to become imitators of Christ, to learn how to, to fill, fulfill our calling, to deny ourselves and follow Christ, right? That takes power. That takes tremendous power. In fact, bringing somebody from being living in the domain of darkness to living in the kingdom of light takes tremendous power. You know that. To become a Christian, you ever notice that, that we can never give life to anything? We can resuscitate but we can never create life. You know that? Think about that. Okay, maybe they're doing growing things in test tubes and tissue and things like that. No, but ultimately we're taking existing material. God is the only one who can create. I speak life into that. He's the only one who can do that. All we can do is get the paddles out, you know, and say, let's bring, and just pray. God's the one who makes somebody who is dead alive. 
In fact, what Paul's going to do here in this section here, now, man, what time is it? We're good. We're going to time. Okay. Just, I'm just thinking in my head because I have a lot to share. We are good. Lock the doors. No fear. No fear. Because no there's, there's a lot to share. I want to develop it. Okay, we're, we're taking our time here, right? No fear. Don't be afraid. Fear no clock. So Paul wants us to understand the power of God. And, he, and in order to do that, he's going to explain certain things about the victory of Christ. Now let's go in a couple explanatorial verses here before I get into some other stuff here. Now, <clears throat> look what he says, first of all, in verse 19. He says, he says, I want you to know the greatness of his power towards us to believe. The, great, the surpassing greatness, the greatness. What that means is the Greek is trying to say, if you can throw a ball as far as the field is, 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 is in existence, let's say, you're in a baseball field and you're throwing the ball as far as you can go. Now, I want you to add... 100 more, 200 yards. Go beyond that. That's how he's saying, let's go way beyond. The power towards us is beyond the scales. It's off the charts. It's, it's like you think it's this much, and God says, I have this much for you. Okay? It is a power that is foreign to us and is inexhaustible. It is there. It is from God himself. It's, it's, um, it goes way beyond what we need. In fact, it's the same word that is used for the glory that... Uh, uh, the glory of Christ that surpasses the glory of Moses, right? Moses came down from Ten Commandments, or ten, came down, hung out with God for 40 days, you know, his face is all shown, hey, look at that. and then he got embarrassed because the glory started going away, so he put a veil over his head, you know? God says the glory of Christ outshines the glory of Moses. The same word, talking about the power of Christ, outshines the power of, of the law, the power of the flesh, the power of the enemy, the power of what he fill in the blank, Right? It's the same, uh, in fact, um, he says the same idea in uh, verse, look at chapter 2, verse 7. He says, in order that, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards the same word, surpassing riches of his grace. Verse, um, and he says the same thing in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 19, okay? Um, go back to verse 19 of, verse, of chapter 2. This power is tremendous. It's, it has a, 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 a signif- it's like this magnitude of power that's available towards a believer for the believer working on their behalf. Okay, so first thing I'm going to share is he's got four words for power that he's presenting here. Commentators are going to say, well, he's using these four words just to kind of show, just to build up this thing. You know, the significance here, okay? Watch this. Look at verse, um, look at, uh, verse 19. First word there is the word power. See that? What is the surpassing greatness of his power? That's the Greek word dunamis. That's where we get the word dynamite from, except dynamite is destructive. God's power is not really destructive, you know. But that's the same thing. It has to do with this, this capacity to do great things, right? Uh, the, the Gospels use the same word that says that the Son of Man is coming with great power, right? Jesus is in the crowd with people. And some lady touches the hem of his garment. And what does he say? He stopped. He says, who touched me? For he, see, he perceived that power went out from him. Same word, dunamis. Okay? So it's not destructive. This was a healing power, right? Um, Jesus, after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, came back to the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
Um, he commanded spirits to leave with dunamis. He, Jesus gave dunamis power and authority to, uh, over his, to his disciples over all demons and to heal diseases. He says, disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power or dunamis manhai. That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it happened in Acts chapter 2. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with dunamis from on high. Okay, so that tells you something. The power that we have from God is from on high, and the power that we have from God is supernatural. The power we have from God is not you and I trying harder to do something. Do you know what most, almost every single religion in the world depends on self to do, to do better? You know that? Um... Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, look at 2 Corinthians 12. You never, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I feel like I have so much to say and I don't have enough time to say it. So please forgive me because there's a lot to say and there's a lot to talk about. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Paul had a vision of heaven and God gave him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Paul says, listen, I saw heaven. And God gave him what is called a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being prideful. And Paul says, can you please, Lord, please take this from me. And what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for dunamis, or power, is perfected in weakness. We're going to talk about that later on, too. But anyway, so he says dunamis. First word he presents, dunamis, power, means the ability or the potential, the capacity to do something. It's, you know what it's like? <clears throat> it's the Ferrari that is... Could, that could go 200 miles an hour, right? It has the capacity, right? But it's in the drive-thru in an Alberger. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the drive-thru or Taco Bell. My son loves Taco Bell. That's the power there. It's like it's under the hood, right? It's, it's ready, to, ready to go, you know? That's the dunamis. I mean, not necessarily be all, you know, you're not going to race through in an Alberger. You might at Taco Bell because <laughs> you might have to flee there anyway. Um, okay, back to Ephesians. That was a bad joke. I, you guys didn't catch the joke. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Taco Bell. No offense to anybody in Taco Bell fans, but if I go through Taco Bell, I have to speed out of Taco Bell. <laughs> so Paul says... Paul says that this power, this ability, this strength is available to the believer. Let's keep going because I'm going to, again, we're developing this. Second, second word is the word energeia. It's the word like energy. It's the actual power. It's the Ferrari now stepping on the gas. It's the jet engines now going on the runway. Okay? When you're taxiing, you're, just, you're like this. But when it's time to take off, and you're like, 
you're praying. Okay, flew in. I, was, I went out of town the other day, came back last night, and literally the, the plane was full. And I had to fly to Denver. And so we're in, so we're in Denver. I mean, we, me and the rest of the passengers are in Denver. Of course, it's, you know, it's a mile high, so the air's thinner up there, right? So literally I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please go, because I know the air's thinner, you know, and that runway is only so long. And this guy is taking longer than I normally think. Oh, you're, you should be up in the air by now, but me, because the air's thinner. So he's, you know, he's just full of, and, and it takes off, right? The energia, the power of those jets is when it's going down the un- runway, okay? So there's potential power dunamis. There's actual exercise of that power. He says, verse 19, uh, these are in accordance with the, the working. It's the working of the strength that is Mike. It's, the, it's the, the supernatural power that is now in effect. You know what happens sometimes? And this, this happens where, where God is supplies a supernatural strength. You're like, where is that coming from? You ever notice that? Sometimes when you are depending on God and you don't have it, you're spent, you're tired, you're distracted, you're frustrated, you're tired, whatever it is, and you're praying, Lord, I need your help here. And something happens in the inside. He strengthens your spirit. You guys have noticed this before, right? That's the energy of the Holy Spirit working on you. You know, the word always refers to to a, a, a power that's supernatural in source, whether it's from God or even from Satan as well. But it's a supernatural source um, that God uses. Third word. Let's go to third word because I have more things to talk about here. Third word is the word kratos, <clears throat> the, strength of, the strength of his might, the strength, the kratos. This is the power to overcome obstacles. So here's this, let's change it from a Ferrari to a bulldozer. And there's something in a way. And what's that bulldozer going to do? It's going to say, <laughs> okay, if I'm a betting man, it's you against me, the bulldozer, and you're going to lose. I'm just going to plow over. That's what it is. That's what the word. It's the word that, that means power to overcome something, power to ex- overcome resistance. So God is saying, I pray that you understand the potential power and dunamis that God has towards you, the expressive power of energia, of going down that runway for you, and whatever's in the way is going to be plowed over. That's the power that God has available for the believer. Now we'll, now we'll bring this down. We'll bring it to, you know, we'll, we'll okay, you guys follow me, right? Um, it's strength. It's the, it's the power of, of it's the actually word that's used for strength of a military army defeating and overcoming the enemy. It literally is. It's and I don't have enough time to share all the verses there, but it's, it's, it's a word that's used to capture the enemy or to overcome the enemy in a battle scene. Fourth, fourth word is a word called iskis. And of course it means, uh, it just means a strong, inherent power that, that can... Uh... So anyway, Paul is this. Paul is then saying, okay, believers, I want you to become aware of this power. Great, Paul. You told me the definition of the words. You're building on this. Isn't that overkill? No, Paul, or no, no, John, um, that's not overkill. Because God wants you to know that, that what we have in facing the enemy, we don't face him with a dart gun. Like at home, the kids and I play Dark Wars, the yellow little foam darts, you know? Now imagine God says, here's your gun, son. We're going to face the enemy who wants to kill you, and here's your dart gun. We'd be like... What are you talking about, Lord? This is not going to hurt, <laughs> you know? No, it's, rather it's like, 
here's the enemy. He has a, he has a dark gun, and I'm giving you every single machine gun known to man to face him. That's what it is. He is, he is, he is giving you the, the full lineup of what he has in your arsenal. Okay, Does that make sense? The second thing he's going to do, he's going to show us four proofs of God's power that is exercised in, in 4X. Watch this. Four proofs of God's power. First, it was four words that, dem- that were the power of God. Second, is four proofs of his power. Here's the proofs. Verse 20. This power is in accordance with the strength of his might, verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he won, raised him from the dead. That's the first proof. He says, listen, you want to see this power demonstrated? It was when God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was dead in the grave three days and three nights, right? And the power of God raised him from the dead. Now, that would have been enough for me, right? Think about this. All Paul had to say is the power of the resurrection is there available for you, and I would have been like, sign me up, because nobody else has ever resurrected anybody else before, right? Think about it. Other than Jesus, you know, Lazarus come forth, you know. But come on. Christ is raised from the dead. He is, he's given this new power towards, to the believer, and, and so he raises from the dead. Secondly is when he seated him at his right hand. Look at the second part of the verse. And he not only raised him from the dead, but he seated him. Here's the thing. When he sat Christ at his right hand, he put him in a position of power to be at, the, at God's, at the king's right hand is, is a sign of great power. It means you're on the same level as that king. You've got the father, you've got the son. Same level, same power, same authority. So here's what he's doing. He's showing the enemy the, the, the victory of Christ. Um, in fact, do you know, if you go to Psalm 110, this is a, a, a verse that the early church actually quoted the most in referring to Christ's exaltation. Psalm 110, verse 1 says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And this basically demonstrated to the, to the powers that be um, that Christ was exalted. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm not doing this justice, so give, bear with me for a second, okay? When Paul's thinking about what the power that he makes available to Christians, he's thinking about real enemies. He's not talking about when we get tired, we get distracted. He's talking about real enemies. Okay? So in one sense, his audience is the angelic realm. I, got, I want to demonstrate something to you, okay? Because, um, whoa, that's really cool. You brought that up? Uh, wow, you guys are, they have the verse up in the, it's just too small to see, but it's, it's, <laughs> Um, when Christ is set at the next hand to the, he's a, he's a, he's he has um, he has rank over. He says he's seated him at his right hand. He has a power and authority far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that's named. Okay, verse twenty one lists the four rulers that Christ defeated. Okay, first was all rule. That's the first ruler. Second is authority. Second, third is power, and third, fourth is dominion. Okay? Now, what is he talking about there? This is actually angelic rankings. And he's referring to not good angel angelic rankings. Okay? He's talking about the angelic realm, but he's talking about the demonic side of things. Okay? 
Christ defeated... Now, you, we don't see this happening, but let's just, let's just define this. The first one is the four rulers is the word... The first, the first world is, is the word arche, and it means ruler, angelic ruler, and it always, always means someone who's on top. It's, um, and here it's talking about angelic rulers, but most likely on the demonic side. Um, the uh, same thing with... with I, I want to show you something. Can I show you something? Look at, look at John 13 real quick. I'm going to show you something. Because I want to... Let's, let's think about this. When Christ, died, when Christ was crucified, who did he defeat? Well, let's look at this real fast. This is going to be significant. John 13... I want to show you something. John 13, turn to that if you can. In verse 27... We're going to look at four verses real fast. John 13, verse 27 says this. And after the morsel, Satan entered him, and Jesus Jesus therefore said to him, that's Judas, what you do, do quickly. So what does Satan do? He enters Judas to do what? Think about this. Why does Satan enter Jesus? Or why does, hold on, watch what I say. Enter Judas. What does Judas do after that? He goes to betray him. Why? What does Judas then do? He goes, he goes and he says, I'll, I'll get you Jesus. What have they been trying to do for the last three years of Jesus' ministry? It's okay. They're trying to kill him. Right? And the scripture says it's not his time. It wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. It wasn't his day, right? But now Satan enters Judas. Judas goes to, the, to these people to these leaders in order to, betray, to say, hey, I'll give you Jesus. And what do they want to do with Jesus? They want to kill him. Think, oh, let's back up here. So Satan enters Judas in order to have Judas have Jesus caught, captured, to kill him. So Satan enters Judas to have Jesus be crucified and killed. Okay. He thought that by killing Jesus, he kills God's plan. You know that? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to show you something else related to this. Now track with me for a second here because Satan tried to get Jesus to, to, to fall in via temptation. That didn't work. So he's like, now I'm going to try to kill him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If we go over time tonight, that's okay, right? Okay. I'm trying to be conscious of time because I know it's Sunday night and we're tired and thankfully the Cardinals aren't playing, but I don't know if I want to watch it because people are taking the knee and I don't understand about that. But that's, anyway, that's just me. But. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at this. Verse 6. It says, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Who are the rulers? The arche of this age. Who are they? The angelic, demonic realm. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages of glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age, same word. He's not talking about rulers as in Pharisees, as in as in the Roman rulers. He's talking about rulers as in the archaic or demonic rulers. Think about this. Watch this. 
things which the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would have what? They would not think about this. What Paul is arguing is this. He says, if the rulers of this age, the archi and the rest of the demonic realm, had known God's plan, they would not have entered into Judas to transfer him to to the people who arrested Jesus to crucify him. But Paul says God was so wise that even through what he... Listen. When the enemy tries to destroy you, he doesn't realize that God is working in that situation. You know that? The thing that you think the enemy can get away and destroy you is the thing that God will make you in. Does that make sense? Because he's trying to destroy Jesus Christ, not realizing the power and the wisdom of God is working right alongside there. So he says, listen... um, um, where was I at? They would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, which, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Here's the thing. The enemy has his schemes. He's trying to do something. He's tr- trying to destroy you. He's trying to, to distract you. And all along, God has a plan that supersedes that. So you don't have to fear what, oh, you know, is the devil going to get me or not? No, God, God is like, way, he's like, I see that. I already accounted for that. In fact, they don't realize it, but that's part of my plan, right? In fact, do you know, go back to verse 6. Let's keep in, um, the, first, of all, tells you, first of all, it tells you that the enemy has very limited knowledge of God's plans. You know that. The enemy is not all-knowing. You know that? The devil doesn't know the future. He may see God doing stuff and say, well, you know, but he does not have insight into the things of the Lord in the future. He does not know God's plan. I mean, he knows ultimately he'll, he's going to be destroyed, but he's convinced in himself that he's not going to go there. But watch this. We'll go back to verse 6. Yet we do speak among those who are mature a wisdom, however, not of the sage, nor of the original of the sage, who are passing away. Does somebody have another translation? Give me another translation. Who's got another translation? Coming to nothing. Another translation. Let's look at uh, one more. Um, what verse was that again? 2 1 Corinthians. I'm in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2 6. Okay. Um, okay. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rule of this age, who are doomed to pass away. One more. I'm going to pull up the ESV. I think this is ESV. This is a big Bible. It's got to be ESV. I think it's ESV. No, no, I'm RSV, rather. RSV. Yep. We write that. Okay. What was it? What verse is it again? First Corinthians 2. 2 6. Amplified? Okay, hold on to Amplified. Um, what verse am I looking at? Okay. Yet, yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, not it, though it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. I want you to, that's a word. It's a word that means to render powerless or to wipe out or to destroy. 
God is saying, Paul is saying that the rulers of this age are doomed to be destroyed. It's interesting when we think about who brought Jesus to be crucified. Was it the people, the mob, the Romans, the Jews, right? But it never says that God, that Christ aimed to destroy them. It says he aimed to destroy the rulers who stirred up the crowd. Does that make sense? Oh, boy. Go back to first. I'm running out of time. Oh man, can I stop and continue this? Because there's, I'm going somewhere with this, guys. I'm I am going somewhere with this, and I apologize. I should have just, you know. Um, okay, so, so go back to Ephesians. Sometimes in your head you think, oh, you have all this time, and you realize time is your enemy, not your friend. Maybe it's your maybe it's your enemy too, because you're like, hurry up, John, hurry up and stop, so I can go home and. But no. Here we go. Verse, uh, go back to first, uh, Ephesians 1, verse, five, uh, verse 20. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Paul inserts that actually because some of the Ephesians would have said, well, I know a God that you didn't mention. So he says, take care of all of it. And when he says far above, he means in rank, not just distance, but in rank. That Christ is far above all that. And not only that, Christ is now in control of all that. In other words, this. We face an enemy that has been so defeated and stripped down. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4, go to Ephesians 4 real fast. He puts a picture of what what Christ actually did to his enemies. In In Ephesians 4, verse 8, it says that Christ, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. What is that? When a king would conquer an opposing enemy, right? Here's what they would do. They would take the conquered king and all his subjects, and they would go back home, and they would have, they would have all the, the, the stuff that they conquered and give it away to people, and then they would have the king maybe dragged by his nose or something like that, and in humiliation, being dragged to display... Here's why I conquered. Okay? Here's Christ showing, I've conquered these enemies. They are, con- check these out, guys. Check these out, you know? And you could just imagine the scene, you know, feeling the, oh, that's the guy that gave us so much trouble. That's the, think about that. He parades, he says, listen, I have only, not only destroyed these powers, and I only destroy these, these rulers, the demonic authorities. I have displayed us as I, I have embarrassed them, basically. Now, what does that mean? How can I come down to a, to a level of application here? Oh, boy. This is where I, I should have started with this, but I need to develop this. I'll give you, there's four pictures of trusting God's power. I'll give you one of them, okay? How is that? I won't belabor the point. We'll, we'll talk about the next three next week. You know what it is? As a Christian, we face an enemy that's been defeated, right? He's been stripped, he's been paraded and embarrassed, and the the battle's been won. The power of God for us is for our benefit because God knows that the enemy's still going to try to fight and try to get us on the sidelines and try to get us fearful and try to get us sort of out of, the, out of where we need to be in God. 
And so he'll do that. He's the, he's the guy who, there's a guy in World War II, Josh was telling me about, in Japan, who was on an island, and uh, he didn't realize that the war ended. And he would hear radio contact from people saying the war's ended, and he thought it was the Allies tricking him. And they found him 19 years later, or 20 years later, still, what? 29 years later, he's still defending this, this island, thinking the war is still going on. Okay? That's what the enemy's doing. The war's done. But he's still ready to fight because he thinks the war's still going on. The war's been done. What is Paul trying to allow us to see? He wants us to see that the power that God has available for us is unlimited, it's supernatural, it's powerful for doing wonderful things. Here's what happens. You're at your home. You're at your home, and things are going tense within your family. You and your spouse are kind of going, I don't like you anymore, I don't like you anymore, whatever, you know? And it's like, where is this coming from? Here's what you do. You stop and pray. You say, you know, let's pray. Because something's not right. We're, you look like the enemy, but you're really not. And inside, you're like, oh, just fight, right? Because part of you says, fight. You stop and you say, we need to pray. Something's going, something is amiss here. And you get on your knees and you say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I, have, I can't see, but I just don't feel right. And we're arguing for some reason. Know, has, uh, that, happens to, that happens to us, you know. And I'm learning to try to recognize that because as soon as you go and pray, you introduce the power of God into the situation. You say, God, I can't handle it, but you can. God, as Paul, as Paul says, would you please take this thorn? And Jesus says, no. My power is sufficient for you. What does he say? For my power is perfected in weakness. And the more you recognize that you in your own flesh do not have the goods and you just have a dark gun, God says, pray, I'll hand you uh, the real thing. And that's what happens. You introduce God to the situation. Paul says, if we only knew, and guess what? It's unlimited. So yesterday, da-da-da-da, let's pray. Today, da-da-da-da, let's pray. It's as simple as that. The hard thing is is to recognize and to be humble, because sometimes you just want to say, well, I'm ready to, to, to get out with my wife. And you're like, Okay, it's, it's humble to say, okay, let's pray. Why are you just being so spiritual? You're just being spiritual, right? You're just, you know, yeah, you are being spiritual, but you're also being humble and saying, Lord, I recognize there's, I don't know what's going on. I don't know, somebody possessed my wife and I want her back, you know, or, or somebody possessed my husband and I want him back, you know? It's as simple as that. It is introducing the presence of God, the power of God into the situation. It sounds simple, but all it is is saying, God, I am relying on you. It is, it, is, it is Caleb and Joshua going into the promised land when the rest of the spies said, there's giants in the land. They said, yeah, but God's with us. It is David going against Goliath, a little boy, with a couple stones against a giant, 
And, but he says, I don't come with you with a whole bunch of stones. That's going to do it. I come to you in the name of the, of the Lord of hosts, right? Who's going to fight for me? It is that is relying on the Lord. The point is, Paul says that that's available to you, for you, for our benefit, for, for your good. Does that make sense? How about this? Let's call it a night and say we finished Ephesians 1. And we'll go to Ephesians 2 next time, okay? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I know I went over time. That's okay. I know, you know, Lord, you're in control. You know where everybody's at, God. You know the, the battle that we face every day, God. An unseen battle that, that wants to attack our marriages, that wants to attack our, our, our family relationships with our, our kids, our in-laws, our cousins, whatever, Lord. You, you see that, and, and we need you, God. Without you, we are nothing, Lord. Help us to realize that this power is not a destructive power. This power is available because, uh, to those who would just say, Lord, would you please help? Lord, help us to walk in victory behind Christ as he is the leader leading us forward and he's parading the enemy because he's victorious over the enemy. He has defeated the enemy, Lord. He is our head. He is our king. He is head over us as the church, Lord. And he is our leader. And we look to him, God. Lord, would you, I pray for each man here, Lord, as a leader of the home. Help us, Lord, to be on our knees, Lord, looking to you as the good shepherd to lead us forward, God, to be the protector of our family, the shepherd of our family as we look to you, God, to lead us, Lord. Help us to pray for our family, pray over our wives, to pray for our children, Lord. Help us to be humble, Lord, in seeking help and forgiveness. Lord, I just pray right now that you would protect each family here, God, from the attacks of the enemy, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we serve a victorious Savior. Thank you that we are facing a defeated foe, Lord. Because the power of God is greater than anything that the enemy could throw away, God. Thank you for your goodness, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.